Hey everyone, this is uh, Innovation Sports and Life. I'm your host, Himang Shah. Today I have a very special guest, Michael Haas, who's the CEO and founder of Plant Jammer. Plant Jammer is a very interesting company. Their vision is to help 1 billion people cook in a more fun and a sustainable way. They have interesting AI algorithms and they are solving two, actually multiple interesting problems. Firstly, how to make delicious food and also how to help us reduce food wastage. But before I, I do so much of that, maybe allow me to uh, ask Michael to explain what who he is about and what Plant Jammer really does. So Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and if you can, please uh, you know tell us a bit more about who you are and what led to the starting of Plant Jammer. Absolutely, Hemang. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm Michael, Michael Haas, uh, CEO and founder of, of, of Plant Jammer, as you say. Um, we've been going on for uh, six years now. Um, so I come from a background that's very much about sustainability. So I, uh, I worked in, uh, in McKinsey and I worked in, uh, in also um, biotech, uh, where I was focusing on sustainability solutions within energy, uh, food, mining. Uh, and then something interesting occurred to me, which is that that actually food is the space where it's within our realm of control to really make a difference when it comes to sustainability. You know, in energy, you need you know, regulation, big capital projects, uh, you need, you know, big, big stakeholders. But in food, it's you and your habits. It's you in the kitchen who can make a real, uh, you know, measurable difference. So that's interesting. And that's why I started Plant Jammer. And the whole idea there is to empower people to to basically uh, do the things that they already want to do. <laughs> we all know that we should eat more veggies. We all know that we should stop food waste. Uh, but habits are really, really, really powerful in the kitchen because we reinforce habits every night when we cook. And we, we just go further and further down that ski slope, and it gets harder and harder to get out of it. Um, for that reason, we need something different than what's normal. The normal way to inspire is recipes uh, that you get from some authority that, you know, knows better, and then you just follow the steps, right? Um, however, that doesn't work. So what we learned is that basically 90% of people, they cook less than 10 different recipes per year. Uh, so we have very little diversity when it comes to the way we cook. And because we have this little diversity, we're not going to change habits. We're not going to be able to, you know, empty the fridge, uh, cook more plant-based, because we just have this very little repertoire and we have a busy life. Right. So we need to think different. And, and that's what we're trying to do in Plant Jammer. So what we do is take something a little bit leaner and a little bit lighter when it comes to deciding what to cook, uh, where we basically use uh, AI algorithms that have learned things from from existing recipes. They know about food pairing. They know about patterns of what people like. And then you just have to make a few decisions and you're basically building your own menu. Uh, so you pick ingredients, it gets suggestions for food pairings, and you're picking along the way. And this empowers you to actually get something in front of you that, that is based on what you have and empowers you to fight food waste and eat more plant-based while getting something delicious on your, on your, on your plate. And that's what we do, uh, both on our own app called Plant Jammer, but also via what we call widgets, which are these iframes, one line of code that Retailers and supermarket chains and, and, uh, you know, food brands, they put on their websites and their apps, and then they have our recipe experience there. So that we empower them to be distributors of our technology, that way touching more people, uh, to do, uh, what they already know they should be doing, uh, but making that easier. That's pretty interesting. And, and you gave us a bunch of, I guess, uh, directions in which we can, uh, dive a bit more, but, 
I'm more curious about, you know, uh, essentially where good ideas come from. And this is a, a very impactful idea. Uh, we all know food wastage. Uh, everyone uh, is doing it at some level, right? No matter how careful they are. But let me ask, was it a personal experience that led you to starting or being more curious about this? Or was there any other incident that led you to explore this path? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a chain of events when you get an idea, right? Because, uh, and, and it's not like there's this one eureka moment where then you got it. <laughs> but what, what, what has happened throughout the journey is first of all, I, I came from, as mentioned, you know, McKinsey consultancy, working 80, 90 hours a week, not having time to cook or not having time to even learn how to cook, right? So I was at a very low stage in terms of cooking and I kind of wanted to learn. Now, when I learned that what I should do is, you know, eat more veggies and stop food waste, I myself had to make you know changes in my kitchen and I just didn't have the skills. And I was looking around and realizing that it was felt very heavy to just find recipes and get them into your repertoire. Uh, so I wanted something lighter in my life that was more based on, okay, these five things go well together and I can make a pasta out of it kind of idea, right? Um, and, and that's how it all started was this sort of light food pairing approach to what could I cook tonight? Um, And then what happened was throughout that journey, we you know, did a lot of interviews, learned a lot of things. And I learned that, you know, out of all the food waste that's happening uh, across the supply chain, which is around 33% of all food that's been produced, that's been wasted. Out of all that food waste, 45%, almost 50% of it is happening in the home. So when we think of food waste, we tend to point at, you know, the, the restaurants or the supermarkets or whatnot. But actually, it's our home. It's our kitchen. So that's where the power is. And we started, you know, interviewing people in their kitchens about, you know, food waste and what do they do when they fight it? So the whole idea here is to say, what is existing behavior that we'd like to see more of? We're not trying to like change the game completely and make people do something dramatically different than what they already do. We're trying to say, what is existing behavior that we can superpower? Um, and then what we learned is that, you know, the group that actually does this well uh, tended to be people, urban areas, quite young, two person in the household, having time on the hand, uh, they, they were the people who sort of tended to, to empty the fridge once in a while. And when they did so, they had those 10 recipes, not more, just 10 base recipes that they could you know, emulate or modulate based on what was there. So yeah, then I know how to make a stir fry and I can make a stir fry with almost any ingredients as long as I know the basis of what is in there. And I know why there is soy sauce in it and what I can use instead of soy sauce. If I have that sort of matrix in my mind, I can make, I can enter my fridge with a, with a stir fry and almost no matter what's in the fridge. And that's what we learned was really powerful when people can do so. Uh, so we try to, try to say, okay, try to actually map out what is the generic stir fry that can have anything in it. And how can you then generalize that concept to a pasta or a salad or a stew or a dal or, you know, and really make that, make that broad. Uh, and that's the whole idea is take existing really, really powerful behavior that does all the things we want them to do people who eat flexibly and fight food waste and then say, how do we give them more skills? So now we have these patterns where you pick the stir fry, pick the three ingredients, be told what else would be good with it, but you can substitute all ingredients so that when I'm being suggested fish sauce and I don't have that, I click fish sauce and I'll be told what else is there that I could pick from a list in a, in a prioritized order based on food pairing. So really doing the things that people do when they're really good at this, but giving everyone the skill. You know, one really interesting part which I caught was uh, you start the empathy phase, right? Where you, I, I guess you were a part of the customer segment yourself. And then you found others who were exhibiting similar behavior. Yeah. And you identified the most common behavior 
and then you're giving them solution which makes it easier for them to adopt. Like a number of times, what tends to happen is, is you hear of a new diet or a new, new lifestyle change, which sounds fun, but it's not sustainable. You know, you can't keep up with it. Was that intentional? Did you figure out that here's the behavior and we need to kind of reinforce it in some positive manner before it leads to a, a change? Yeah, I think to me, to me, big, you're absolutely right. I think to me, the big sort of, uh, aha moment related to this was reading this book called uh, The Mom Test. Uh, so The Mom Test is a book that says basically if you have a new idea uh, and you go to your mother and you tell her all about your new idea, she's going to say it's amazing because she's your mother and she loves you. <laughs> and that goes for your friends and it goes for a lot of people. They will, you know, if you just tell your idea, you know, they're obviously going to say positive things because they don't want to hurt your feelings. Uh, but the right approach to solving a problem is to Take the scene that where you want to solve the problem and ask them about their daily lives. Like, how is it actually today? And really start mapping out step by step. What do you do? And then in that sort of step by step, realizing where are the pain points? And then you can solve for those pain points with your, with your product. And that's really the idea here is to say, okay, find the people who had the right behavior, see how they do the right behavior and see where they have pains. So, you know, people, they could do this, but they don't really know how to substitute. Uh, spices, right? You know, what can I use if I don't have cumin kind of idea? Uh, I don't, they don't know why they're using fish sauce. Uh, but they, so they don't know what else to put in if they didn't have it. But actually fish sauce is umami. So we can use, uh, you know, sesame seeds or soy, soy sauce or even ketchup, uh, to, to get umami as well. So, so taking these pain points and then expanding opportunities within those pain points so that the, the same people will have value from this product and make it even more powerful. So can you tell me a bit more about, well, first you did this customer journey mapping of sorts and then identifying pain points. Uh, and I'm certain you would have found multiple pain points to address. How do you go about picking which is the first one that you should address that, let's say, makes it to the base version of your product? Yeah, so so we, we were in this situation where, uh, you know, we already build some technology that we believe in, right? Trying to solve my problem, which is related to food pairing and, and, and this, this way of cooking. So we were sort of constrained with what kind of solutions we could build, right? So when we talked about the pain points, the, the first parameter of solving a pain point was, is it actually something we can solve, right? Um, so, so, and, and, and sort of is within our skill set to solve. So, uh, people who said that they, you know, uh, they realized uh, that they wanted to uh, to get get ingredients delivered in the middle of this journey, where just as they're planning for for what to what to cook, we cannot solve for. We're not a food delivery company, so that's that wasn't going to be in our sort of repertoire. Um, when it's that talking about you know choice of ingredients and substitutes and food pairings, that's a space where we can be in. So first premise is can we solve it without technology? And that's really important, of course. And the other premise is is when they don't have our technology. What exactly do they do and how painful is that? So if, if, if they're, if, if they don't have our technology, but they're just saying, that's fine. I have this book over here that I always just look up and it's like page two and it's no problem. And everyone said that they already had that book in their, in their shelf. Then we wouldn't have any problems to solve. So we, we shouldn't go there. Right. But, uh, but we, what we found is, okay, what actually happens when I don't have that ingredient is I don't cook this. I, I pick up the phone and I call a delivery service and I, I get the fast food instead and I actually don't uh, stop the food list. Then suddenly we could have saved you, you know, uh, in, in Denmark food is quite expensive. So if you do, uh, you know, take away, it, you could, it saves you like $10, $10 per, per person, right? 
to not have to pick up that phone bags or cook that uh, that stuff from the fridge and that. So that's a significant cost you can reduce and a significant pain you can actually reduce. So um, so those are the two parameters. You know, can we solve it with our technology? And is the pain hard enough that your alternative solution to our technology, you know, is, is actually causing you grievance either economically or you know, um, convenience-wise? Interesting. And when were you convinced that you had a good enough customer segment? Because I don't think the customer segment was your problem necessarily. It is how much of or how many of them were willing to adopt the change? And also as a company, how many of them were willing to pay you for that? What led you to the point of reaching that confidence level that, hey, we have the target customer size that can pay us? Yeah, I think I think we're in an interesting space here in, in food. Uh, this is this is a different space than many others because there's some core parameters in food that makes uh, the game a little bit different. One is you have free recipes online everywhere, so people have a perception of free uh, in food, uh, in food inspiration. Even if we do something dramatically different that solves a different kind of problem, it still is the space of oh recipes, right? So so getting the sort of willingness to pay is is, is really really hard in food, and that's why there's very there's many recipe apps, there's very few recipe apps that are making money uh, unless they do delivery on the on the back of it, right? Um, so what we learned in that journey is we're solving a problem people want to get solved and we can get really strong retention rates and, and engagement rates, but getting them to pay directly will be very hard. We knew that from the beginning. So what we decided to do is that's why we have this two-prong uh, model where we have our app where there's a payment aspect to it, but we're mainly using that for learning so that we have the B2B aspect where we actually are having uh, corporates you know, whether they're food brands or retailers, deliver this recipe experience. And actually, they're the ones paying for it uh, because they want to build brand. They want to build awareness. They want to have an impact. So for that reason, they are willing to pay to have a recipe experience on their sites uh, because they get data on what are people cooking and why are people cooking it. That teaches them what should they deliver next year and what how should they serve their customers best. And they build brand because they're basically doing something that's helping their customers on the databases, reminding them that they exist. Um, so we actually decided to go into that direction purely because food is a space where the B2C segment is really hard on inspiration because there's so many free recipes online that everyone considers recipes should be free. Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head right there, right? That it's hard to, to find something against free, but the insights you're collecting, the behaviors, I think that's the true gold which you're hitting. Yes, what we learned there is, is quite extraordinary because 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 people only follow ten recipes per year, uh, right? And they have these ten recipes they just stick to. Basically, every online recipe you see out there performs extremely badly on any metrics. If you are a growth hacker, a marketing person, like they have very their bounce rates of more than fifty percent. They have time on spend on on the recipe of less than one minute on average. So they they they, they and they get very little activity on them. You have to have recipes, but they get very little activity today. And for that reason, people don't really, or companies don't really learn much about their customers through that pathway. But when you have this interactive experience where you're substituting ingredients, you're engaging with a recipe like we're building, suddenly the time on page go to six and a half minutes on average. The bounce rate is less than 15%. These are like, like social media metrics, right? <laughs> They're not normal on recipes. And suddenly you have all these data points on every activity you're doing on people putting in in filters, substituting cilantro, putting in protein rich ingredients that you're learning about your customer group, which is really powerful. And, and a lot of these, particularly food brands, 
they are selling their products via a retailer. So the retailer is close to the customer, but they're not. So they're eager to have more information about what is it their customers want. And that's sort of where we, we, we found a, a nice little uh, honeypot of, of a monetization way uh, to make this work. And that's necessary, right? Because if we're going to distribute this technology to a billion people, um, we we cannot do that by donation. <laughs> we'll have to have a way because it's costly to distribute and build technology. So we have to have something to, to pay for that. And we found this little smart way of doing that. Can you tell us a bit more about the, the technology which is empowering everything? Because I'm sure it's it's pretty complex. Right? There's so many combinations when it comes to food. It's a basic necessity. Everyone's fridge has, you know, different parameters. Everyone has their own preferences, right? Someone may like it spicy. Someone, uh, you know, likes a particular cultural reference. Like I'm from India, so I have, let's say, a preference for strong spices versus maybe someone else who may not. Yeah. So how do you go adapting and make sure that your, your same solution is relevant to me versus someone else on the other side of the planet? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I love it. And I can now talk for seven hours, so I'll try to be brief. <laughs> so core of our technology is a neural network of food pairing. Uh, we basically taught from, from millions of recipes. Whenever someone says, I'm making an Indian recipe and I have cilantro, we know what other ingredients tend to be around cilantro. And when it's cilantro and dal, you know, what's going to be around that and so on. So there's a whole sort of neural network of food pairings. That's the first aspect that's proposing ingredients. Now, that's where the that's the, the sort of core of the AI, and then we build a lot of structure around that AI. So, first of all, we create uh, dish themes. So we build our own recipes that are dynamic, which basically have these structures that are saying there's certain components you need in this dish. So you know, if you are uh, if you're making a ratatouille, right, there are certain ingredients that you need to have, like your bell peppers, uh, and then uh, there are certain very common ingredients like thyme and oregano, are spices. And, and then you have some to have something sour. It can be lemon or lime or apple cider vinegar and something umami. And you can have these components that have a lot of ingredients below them. And we tag all ingredients based on their, uh, what they bring to a dish. And then we say for this dish, you need something umami, something sour, something bulky, but all these ingredients are blacklisted because it's a French dish and you should not put, uh, curry in it, uh, <laughs> right? A turmeric. Um, so, so we have this whole logic that gives a straight jacket. For the neural network. So when the neural network comes to food pairing, it says, take away all these things. And by the way, beef up these ingredients because it's a Mediterranean dish. Um, and, and that's what we call masks, which are basically uh, a little sort of filter on top of the neural network that then bumps up and bumps down ingredients based on what kind of context it's in. And the context can be a dish, meaning I'm now making an Indian dish, uh, chana masala or whatever, uh, but also an individual mask on top saying, by the way, the person making it the person making that chana masala is from uh, from Milan, Italy. So he he he's not into the too spicy stuff, but he you know likes turmeric uh, and cilantro. So uh, so that's the definition where you sort of have uh, not just a generic neural network, but you have these masks on top that is making it individualized. Man, that's so interesting. I'm I'm happy you actually built this thing, <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to keep on evolving. Uh, I have to ask you this thing, you know. Uh, I'm a foodie. I, I enjoy food. Uh, there is a type of cuisine called as Indo-Chinese. It's Chinese, but with uh, Indian flavors. Yeah. It's a very interesting fusion, uh, which, you know, primarily you'll, you'll find it, uh, of course, in India, but also where uh, Indians reside. So the way they cook, let's say, noodles and, uh, and fried rice 
will be quite different than how they would serve it in an authentic Chinese restaurant. It's cross-pollination. It's, you know, borrowing things from there and adding stuff that, you know, people like over here. I love it. I yeah. love it. <laughs> and, and there's a general concept around this, uh, you know, this, this sort of um, when you're doing mixing different kinds, and we can exactly do this now because we basically say make a pizza, but put in and uh, let's say um, let's put a Korean uh, Korean mask on top of the pizza, and you're gonna have a miso base uh, on, on the on the on the on the dish, and you're gonna have you know uh, kimchi on top <laughs> and a cabbage base, uh, so eggplant that's been have a lot of chili and and turmeric in the middle, and it, so you can sort of put the layers in that that sort of creates these sort of uh, fusion cuisines. Um, I'm going to look into Indo-Chinese, though. That's uh, that's a space we haven't ventured into yet. So thank you for the the hat tip. <laughs> oh, you'll love it. <laughs> you have to try it. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, I also have to ask you on this uh, very interesting name, plant jammer. You know, on one side there is of course the element of plants, but what is jamming here? Is it like the music jamming that we do? How do you come about it? Yeah, that's exactly it. So what we learned in this journey as well was the the, the people who don't fight food waste, the people who uh, stick by tradition and so on, they tend to be very uh, one-dimensional about food. They tend to be it's about perfection. So make the perfect recipe, uh, you know, that looks perfect, and uh, you know, searching for that that kind of uh, uh, you know journey to a perfect recipe. But the people who were fighting food waste, who were eating more plant-based, who were doing sort of adaptations along the way as the season grows and they live in different places. They were having a much more flexible approach to cooking and much more like a jazz band that jams. And, and the whole idea of a, a, a jamming is that you have some notes that are the base, basically these rules you stick to, but because you know the rules, you can jam and you can freestyle around those. And that's exactly the, the concept we want to create. We're saying if you, as long as you make sure that this, Heavy dish has something umami, something sweet, something sour, something crunchy, and a bulk, you will be fine, right? And, and because you know those notes, you can jam around that. And then you can take, you know, something sweet like uh, pomegranates that also sours. So you're taking away the sour. The umami can be anything. It can be, uh, you know, artichokes, uh, but it can also be sun-dried tomatoes. Uh, crunch you already got because of the pomegranate, so you have a super simple dish here. So you can actually, once you know the notes, it is like jamming because you can freestyle a lot. And it, you get into that mindset that's much less about perfection and much more about trying things out, experimenting, learning along the way. And that's that's why we, we like the word jamming because it's basically the perfect reflection of how we like to feel in the kitchen. I, I'm guessing it makes the team more energized and in a fun way that you know, wastage or fighting food wastage sounds like a very serious problem. And if you're going to have everyone who's just, you know, narrowed down vision, you know, very serious, they're not going to be able to innovate. So I, I think this probably name uh, makes the atmosphere a bit lighter. Yeah, exactly. And we use that a lot. Like jamming is a, is a verb we use a lot. Like we even have uh, brain jams uh, every every Thursday evening where someone brings a topic in that we do a problem solving around uh, for playing on the, the, the jamming uh, sort of verb uh, throughout what we do. And it becomes sort of a mindset and a cultural aspect to the, to the company for sure that, uh, yeah, you can work in a very serious cost, but uh, do it with a glimmer in your eye. Oh, wonderful. Uh, and what are the other fun things that you do to, to keep the innovation engine up and running? Yeah, so, so a few things. So have one, one thing is the brain jam, uh, which is a really powerful concept because basically we also make sure to bring in 
concept that's outside of work that you can jam on. Uh, so that's the Thursday is like bring in your passion, talk about it that, because what we learned throughout also the Corona situation was everything became very transactional because it became online. And so a meeting is super transactional. It's about like what I need from you, what do you need from me and solve the problem and move on to, you know, do your code. Um, so this was a chance to bring out the humans uh, and and actually, you know, talk about things that also were outside of work. And that's what brain jamming is about for us is talk about something you're passionate about, share it with people and have a little jam session about what people people think about it. Um, so that's, that's definitely a, a very, very strong aspect of, uh, of, of, of where we, where we jam. Um, then we, we have every month we have a, uh, an offsite and the offsite is basically a full day where we spend the first half of the day on something work related, but it's something a little bit outside of our normal realm, uh, so that everyone gets to be a data scientist or everyone gets to be a gastronomist, uh, for that half day. And the other half day is we, we start with actually cooking, uh, so jamming in the kitchen. Uh, so uh, we use our own products, we learn about it, we get feedback back from that, but we also just have fun doing it. And then some events, getting out there and, and doing something else, uh, completely. Because it's such a huge aspect of building a strong performing team that you have uh, human trust between uh, the individuals. And you only build trust if you really know each other and have seen seen people in outside of work uh, conditions, and, and then you feel enough trust that you can tell people if you disagree on something. Uh, and that's so important if you're going to build the right solutions. Michael, I'm so happy we had this conversation today. I mean, in terms of innovation methodologies, I think you're you're hitting all the right notes. You know, if I borrow your word of jamming. Uh, you're bringing the fun element uh, into the picture and you're helping a great cause. Uh, thank you so much. And to all your colleagues at Plan Jammer, uh, we will check it out. You know, we'll start using the app and discover fun recipes. Amazing, Iman. Thank you so much.